Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And boy, am I excited. Uh, we've got something that I don't do very often in store for you today. I've got a repeat guest. And I, yeah, when this came across the transom as an opportunity, I absolutely jumped on it. First of all, because I loved our, our, our previous uh, interview uh, with each other. Um, but what Scott's up to now is uh, in the sweet spot of what we're talking about here on the soul of business and what's, you know, what, what you want to make possible for your business. So um, the guest today, Scott Jeffrey Miller, uh, Scott was you know, the former uh, CMO, Chief Marketing Officer of Franklin Covey. He was also uh, uh, the EVP of business development for them for 25 years, um, has had a wide ranging um a career um, primarily in the, you know, the marketing development, business development uh, uh, area. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to him about is a new series that he's got. Um, it's a multi-volume um, book series, uh, Mess to Success. And I kind of like the alliteration there. And the first book in that series is just coming out. As a matter of fact, uh, May 10th, which is today. <laughs> How's that? for uh, serendipity. Uh, serendipity. serendipity, yeah. So I want to just welcome Scott uh, to the show again. Scott, great to have you here. Blaine, thank you for letting me come back on and lending me your platform. Uh, the Message Success brand is well on its way. 10 books in 10 years. Uh, the second book actually uh, launches this week, Marketing Mess to Brand Success. The first one was Management Mess to Leadership Success. And I've got eight more in various forms of manuscript form coming out one a year for the next eight years. So you're going to see a lot of, a lot of my messes over the next decade. Yeah. Well, like I said on the, on the pre-show here, um, there's a lot of movement going on in your life right now. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, Metaphorical kind of, and literal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, number one, you know, the transition that you've made uh, out of, you know, the yeah. formal executive yeah. leadership role um, with Franklin Covey, what, what compelled that and how are you staying linked? Because, you know, Franklin Covey as a brand, and this is where I want to go with this is the brand, the soul of, of Franklin Covey is um, been, been basically what you curated over the last 25 years yeah. uh, in, in yeah. so many ways. So what kind of compelled the move? What's you know, kind of in front of you right now? And then we'll, we'll look at um, this uh, uh, new book series. Well, it was a very amicable divorce. They got the kids, I got the boat. <laughs> or the cabin, no. At 25 go. years, had a great run. I was an officer in the firm. Obviously, we're a global public company, was the chief marketing officer, and then spent two years as the executive vice president of business development and then thought leadership. And you know, after 25 years, I was ready for a change. That's a pretty good run. Right. You know, very few yeah. of my contemporaries have invested 25 years in the same company. And the board of directors and the CEO had a very protracted conversation. He wanted me to stay. I wanted to stay ish. And, you know, I was 51 at the time. I'm 52 now. And so this past November, I made a clean break, clean ish, meaning I stepped down as an employee of the company and I signed a three year consulting arrangement as an advisor to the firm. I'm still leading their podcast, which is the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. I'm the host of that. I'm launching a new podcast for them in a few weeks. I still advise them on their book strategy and their thought leadership strategy. But by stepping down as an officer of the firm, it allowed me to write some of my own things and do some columns and to create some own products for myself. 
Yeah. In fact, the CEO and I are very good friends. We talked an hour ago about a business venture we're working on for the firm. So I'm delighted to have stepped away, still be associated with the brand. I'm an, I'm an unabashed ambassador of the uh, Franklin Covey brand and all that we teach. And that also allows me to kind of spread my wings and yeah. do my own thing. Uh, I, you know, one of the things that people get, you know, really kind of, I think, wrapped around the axle with a little bit is, is, is relationship stuff. And you, you made a joking reference to the divorce was amicable. Uh, relationships, yeah, and, and I, I get onto this every now and then because I think it's such an important deal. Everything in life is predicated on, on relationship quality, everything. And what most people seem to think is that that means that the relationship has to be static, yeah, you know, it, it's longevity, you know, sustainability. The form of relationship needs to be allowed to change, I think. The form needs to be allowed to change. And if you're allowing the form to change, you can keep connected to the soul of the relationship, what, what actually makes it a viable relationship to begin with, something that, you know, both will benefit from. I mean, I, I think about nature as, as, as the ultimate uh, business guru. And everything in nature got a symbiotic relationship in some way, shape, or form. But from a seasonality perspective, those forms are always changing, not throwing the relationship out, but tolerating a change in form. And I just want to take my hat off to you for that move. In 25 years, I mean, it, it would be real easy to retire in place. Yeah. So to <laughs> Beautifully said. I It was a bold move for me, right? I had a serious disruption. I disrupted myself. I mean, you're exactly right. As an officer of the firm, much of my compensation was in stock and future shares. And in the middle of a pandemic, I walk away from it. My wife thinks I'm clinically unwell. But, you know, there comes a time in your life when you reassess your priorities and your values and what's important to you and what's more important. And in the middle of a pandemic, it was this was not an urgent idea. The CEO and I had talked about it for a year or so. And like I said, he asked me to stay and I kind of asked permission to leave because we have mm -hmm. a very good relationship. Yeah. And I think I had behaved myself into a reputation where he trusted me to still have the firm's best interest at heart, still give the best of my creativity, but allow me to go out and build a brand for my own that can exist, you know, really concurrently, simultaneously in the market with Franklin Covey. I yeah. mean, their reputation is based on their intellectual property and their brand. There's not a lot of widgets at Franklin Covey, right? It's intellectual property. So I'm, I'm proud that the board and the CEO and the executive team and I were um, able to work out a good departure. In fact, tonight I'm having a launch party in Salt Lake City for the book, 125 hopefully vaccinated people coming. Yeah. And half the executive team is coming, the CFO is coming, coming to president. The CEO can't come, but he called me and said, can I come early? I said, no, but I'll send you photos. <laughs> his, um, his wife has a health issue going on right now, but those are the best relationships that you said it could evolve and mature. They're, they're, they're based on principles of trustworthiness, but they take on a different evolution, right? When people's needs change, when their own lives change. And I'm proud of that. It's probably one of the things I'm most proud of, that I was able to separate from a firm with not just mutual respect, but with mutual interest at heart. He has my best interest. I have their best interests, and we still talk. And it's not always that way, but I'm proud that we earned and built that trust with each other. Now you take that, and I, and, you know, Scott. Honestly, I mean, it's it's, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow. I'll just offer the hat to her on this one, but yeah, conscious uncoupling, you know, sort of a thing. Yeah. Uh, but the idea of leaving the other party with number one, the sense of you know, I respect what we've had, I respect where we're at, and I respect where we're going. 
but the experience of uplift as a consequence of this, you know, this uncoupling or this sh shifting of form. Yeah, when you can leave the experience of increase with the other party, you've done a pretty good job. And it, the pie can't not get bigger as a consequence of that. I think you're right. And it, and it doesn't always happen. But when it does happen, there are some common principles, right? And that is each of you have behaved yourself into a reputation of being trusted. You make mm -hmm. and keep commitments. You set parameters. My parameters are in a legal contract, right? That was filed with the SEC. I don't violate it. And, and if there ever was a violation, the CEO would assume good intent, right? And if it was other vice versa, I would assume good intent. But we all hold each other with the highest level of trust and accountability. And, and I, do, I, inter, I am determined to keep my reputation strong with him and the board of the company because they're my biggest champions. And like I said, half of the half the party tonight is Franklin Covey Associates. And that's something that I'm gonna work into my, my speech tonight because you've reminded me about how precious that is. It's not existing in every relationship. Well, it isn't. And, that, uh, and I honestly think that this is where marketing can really play an incredible role because I'm gonna you know, steal a line from uh, Jeff, Jeff Bezos. You know, marketing is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. Um, and that says a lot about how a company, how an individual positions themselves. Are they talked about as if they are a value added component to my existence in life? I think the purpose of business is to increase the possibility of thriving. It's not to make money. Uh, Milton Friedman got that one wrong, but to increase the possibility of thriving. And if you're, if you're actually increasing the possibility of thriving on, the, on behalf of your, you know, obviously your, your, your most intimate stakeholders, your employees and whatnot, but more importantly, I think in this conversation, your customers, uh, you're gonna be uh, golden for a long time because they're gonna keep wanting to come back. How do I feel about me when I'm in the presence of your product? How do I feel about me when I'm in the presence of your service? If I'm uplifted and I feel like I can thrive more effectively, I'm going to I'm going to hang around and it's not going to be a question of price. You can't commoditize that. Blaine, beautifully said. I uh, I teach this principle to my boys all the time is you don't have a right to be in business. You have to earn the right to exist. You have to re-earn it. So I may have left the firm and built some books and a brand for myself, but I have to keep earning the trust of those colleagues that sent me out and, you know, safely helped my ship sail as well as the new clients that are coming in. And I take that very seriously. Each time I make and keep a commitment, my brand continues to stay strong with my current clients, my hopefully future clients, and those colleagues from Franklin Covey. Let's talk about a marketing mess. Okay. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah, just the title. It's, it's, it's kind of, okay, th this sounds like there could be some you know, real interesting conversation, real interesting juice here. 30 challenges to become the leader you would follow. Um, that was the you know the uh, the previous one, correct? Well, no. So each each book has mess to success. So the first book, the blue oh. one, was management mess to leadership success. Thirty challenge to become the leader you would follow. That's right. The second book that's launching now is marketing mess to brand success. Thirty challenges to transform your organization's brand and your own. It's confusing, I know, because the titles are similar and so is the tagline. I'm not very creative when it comes to <laughs> titles or taglines. Or, or I'm a genius and I just repeat You're a genius, yeah. One of the yeah. two. <laughs> Marketing for dummies. I mean, we've got a whole series here. Um, the, the 30 challenges, I mean, I actually went through and highlighted a couple of them here because you do. I mean, it's. I, I, I love this uh, uh, publicity blurb uh, that kind of came into this. 
Uh, access into a career of blush-worthy mistakes, missteps, and lessons learned. Um, in 25 years, I'm sure that there have been a couple. Um, one that I'd like to just kind of start to, to uh, the conversation with is um, define, you know, understand and define your charter. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm focusing on that one because to me, that kind of resonated yeah. with you know, what's the soul of your business? Right. What are you trying right. to bring to market? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think there is a lot of marketers. In fact, the, the book is aimed at people who own marketing in their organization. It might be you're an, a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, or you might have a company where you have three or four people more in marketing. It's aimed primarily at how can marketing better align with sales, right? What does really marketing mean? What is the role that marketing plays in the company? This particular challenge about your charter, I think there's lots of marketers that don't know what their charter is. They're guessing, right? And perhaps they have a CEO that does or doesn't really know marketing, they mm -hmm. think they do, right? If your CEO knows marketing, sales, operations, supply chain, and product development, run. Because you don't want to work for the genius in the room. You no. want to work for the genius maker of others. So this is about, if that. you don't know your charter, ask, is there a charter? Get very clear. What, what is our mandate? What is our purpose? What is marketing's role in this company? Is it reputation building? Is it to build brand equity? Is it to create qualified leads that can convert into cash because not everybody defines marketing the same way. And if That's your leader doesn't have a charter, it. it's very yeah. true, right? I mean, a lot of CEOs may say, well, I want to build a big brand. Well, that's great, but you can't staple brand to the back of a bank deposit slip and fund payroll on it. I mean, maybe Procter & Gamble can, but you know, for most firms, brand is an ongoing process. And if you don't have a charter, then you may need to Define one, create one on your own. Just make sure that it's all bought off on and everybody is singing from the same song sheet. Because I love this phrase, you know, nearly all conflict is the result of mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. Yeah. So as a marketer, you should be insanely clear on what is your charter. And if there isn't one established, then co-establish it or lead out and say, I believe this is going to be our charter owner boss, funder, mm -hmm. does this make sense to you? Get clear on the measurables, get clear on the outcomes, the critical success factors, you'll have a great career. I think oftentimes what marketing thinks their charter is, sales doesn't. <laughs> and I'm not sure the board always does either. I wrote the book to lessen that chasm between sales and marketing. Yeah, yeah Scott, that, I think that's an extraordinarily uh, important point for, for folks to really understand. Uh, I've, I've worked with a lot of CMOs uh, in different organizations, and this whole notion of charter, it, yeah, how do we, how do we uh, create a narrative that captures who we are and do it within the framework of we're going we're gonna to go to market with this message for the sake of what? Is it, is it brand building? Is yeah. it uh, list building? Yeah. For the sake of what? Because it's a strategic question, and, and if marketing is not seen as a, as a, as a crucial strategic partner in the business, not just an add-on, not just something that we'll throw up against the wall and see what sticks. You're, you're going to be you know, throwing a lot of money down the, down the hole. Blade, I'd even take it a step further, right? As I think, you know, so many marketers, I, mean, I don't know if that's all marketers or most marketers or too many marketers, they, they establish their charter. They get clear on their purpose and their messaging. The problem is, then that becomes part of all their external messaging. So all of their, their mission, their purpose, and their how many offices they have and how much research, that all now becomes part of their messaging. No one cares what your purpose is. 
Your mm -hmm. clients don't really care what your mission is. I mean, some might, but if your clients can't see themselves in your messaging, you're just writing your obituary. You're just writing all your pablum. You've got to be able to make that pivot between being clear on what your charter is, but not necessarily using those words or all that information in your outward marketing. You've got to be listening to what your client's calling the problem. Are they solving the same problem that you're solving? Because lots of times I think as marketers, we get caught up in our own vocabulary and our, and our acronyms and our own internal speak. You might call your problem leadership, but I call it productivity, or your problem might be engagement, but I call it punctuality. We got to make sure that as marketers, we're speaking the language of our clients. Right. Not just right. language that we, what we call it inside of our company. It's why the first yeah. challenge is it's the customer stupid. Good. The very yeah. first challenge is focused on um, great marketers resist the gravitational pull to be sucked into what is the hairball of your company, your mission, your purpose, your values, your processes, your quarterly goals, your EBITDA, your stock price. Your clients don't give a damn about your EBITDA. Mm -hmm. And I read once where the best salespeople aren't the salespeople that have memorized their third quarter revenue goal. They've memorized their clients' third quarter revenue goal. And they are just as passionate about helping their clients achieve that goal as they are using their clients to achieve theirs. It's a big mindset shift. And it's easy for us to talk about it, you know, on the podcast. But that's hard to do. I mean, and, yeah, I mean just the way that you worked in your previous formal role with Franklin Covey, yeah, Frank, I mean, honestly, your employer at that point, Franklin Covey, was your client. What's the, yes. you know, what, what the, yeah, how do the, how do uh, they see yourself? How do they see themselves in your job? In, and, in, in, and that in, was a challenge. That's yeah. a challenge, right? Because the CEO was my customer. Right. But at the same time, so were the customers. Yes. And so if I didn't have the courage, the diplomacy to push back on the CEO to say, you know, Bob, I don't think that's the direction we should take. I understand why you're saying that, but here's what I'm seeing and what the customers are needing. And it worked both ways. Sometimes he would say, Scott, you're in your own mind. Here's what I'm seeing in the marketplace. But again, it comes down to your, your opening point is it's all about relationships. It's all that matters. Yeah. People are not your most valuable asset. It's the relationships between your people, especially with your clients. It, it's, it all boils down to that, everything. We're going to come back. I'm just, you know, that, I want to unbundle that uh, because I, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I just got chills when you said that, and I'm gonna because I write about that, I talk about that, and we'll talk about that when we come back. So we're gonna take a real quick, real quick break, talking with um, yeah, yeah, Scott Miller about his newest book here, and we're gonna pick this up in just a few minutes. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52-week-long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast-changing environment. You won't regret it. 
And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these solo business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. Um, before we took the break, uh, Scott said something that was really interesting that I want to just make sure we don't lose connection to because it's crucial to keeping yourself connected to the soul of your business and keeping yourself connected to your own soul in so many ways as well. The most important uh, asset in your company isn't your people. It's the relationships that your people have. It's the relationships. And that's something that I want to really pay attention to because one of the other challenges that you talked about here, um, Scott, was um, the, you know, define your smallest visible or viable market. Yeah, yeah. How do, how do those pieces come together? Relationship and yeah. smallest viable market. Yeah. So this obviously is an idea that is Seth Godin's, a good friend of mine. You gave yep, me yep. permission to talk about it. This came from his book, This Is Marketing. And it's counterintuitive to a lot of business leaders and marketers, right? When we're creating our business plan for our SBA loan, or we're creating our modeling of our business structure, or business model for our venture capital, we're talking about the, the largest viable market, right? Oh, everybody needs my book. Everybody needs our software. Um, that's bullshit. The fact of the matter is, if you're going to develop, a, develop a, a sustainable business, stop deluding yourself into thinking that you're going to have everyone as your customer. You need to create the smallest viable market. This takes unnatural focus and discipline. It takes a lot of humility and vulnerability to say, who is my first customer? Who is my first reader? Who is my first subscriber? What is their name? What problem are they solving? How do I make sure that I know their circumstance? What circumstance are they in and how does my service or product solve that circumstance? Who's my second customer? Who's my third customer? And then get into an intimate relationship with them where mm -hmm. they become brand ambassadors for you and they're promoters for you on the MPS scale, right? And that they become your sounding board and they defend you, come to your aid when you might may perhaps need it. Look at Chick-fil-A, right? A whole chapter about Chick-fil-A, like them or not, like their politics or not, you know, when... When someone doesn't like the founder's politics, you've got you know a half dozen protesters out there, and then you've got 8,000 cars lined up four miles because their supporters come out for them. Politics aside, Chick-fil-A knows a thing or two about treating their customers well because they treat their employees so well. Yep. Their, their relationships they have with their, their leads and their team members and helping to pay for college education. Same with Panda Express. I know yep. the owners of Panda Express extremely well. The tens of millions of dollars that Andrew and his wife put into scholarships for their restaurant managers and employees and college funds. It's remarkable. They treat their employees right. Yeah. And as a result, their employees treat their customers right. So when you get to know your clients through your smallest viable market, you can't help but develop a relationship with them. They can give you feedback and be your ambassador, your defender, your promoter, um, and can come to your aid if you ever need them. Yep. It's, it is. It's all about relationship. Fundamentally. And guys, yeah, I, I mentioned this just about every, every time we're, we're together on this, on this podcast, uh, relationship. If, if you aren't curating quality relationships and paying attention to how to do that, you're missing incredible opportunities and you're going to sink, uh, quite frankly. Um, 
part of that has to do, I mean, knowing your smallest viable market uh, or customer, every, every segment that I've ever worked in, market segment, every customer segment I've ever worked in has a unique language component to it. And I, I was, as I was going through this little checklist of 30 items here, I was struck by this and I started actually kind of laughing a little bit here, but speak their language is one of the challenges. I remember when I started working in telecom back in um, the 80s, late 80s, or early 90s, I guess it was. When the hell was it? Yeah, early 90s, I think it was, uh, with Nokia. Uh, I, I didn't know anything in, about telecom, but I you know, ramped up real quick on getting vocabulary down so that I could speak their language. And you know, when I would talk about um, resistance to change, I put it in the context of uh, signal-to-noise ratio. Uh, and it's kind of like, oh, oh, I, now I know what you're talking about. So it's about how do you reduce the signal to noise ratio so you actually get a clear, clear signal. Uh, yeah. So knowing the language can facilitate a lot of things you know, in, your, in your messaging. Where did you learn that piece? Because you know, you know, part of this is missteps, mistakes. Messes galore. Experiences. Yeah. I share a great story in the book, Blaine, about how as the CMO, I was getting ready to launch a new version of Franklin Covey's the seven habits of highly effective people work session, right? You know, uh, trained tens, if not hundreds of millions of professionals across the last 40 years in this. And we brought a new marketing manager in. She actually came from the storage business, like the like physical storage. Mm -hmm. And she came in and she was a marketing manager and I was pitching a narrative to her. And she said, what was that word you use? Did you call it stewardship? I said, yeah, stewardship. She's like, Sounds like a church term. Like, and, I, and I was using stewardship to describe responsibility. And I, it's just a word we use at Franklin Cove. It's not a, I mean, it is, it has a religious connotation, but it was never used in a religious context. Right. She called me out and she's like, and by the way, what is that word you used? And no one calls that, that, who call, I mean, and I, I wanted to punch her, but she was right. She was calling me out. She's like, these are lovely words, but uh, newsflash, no one uses those terms in the real world outside of Franklin Covey. So you got to cut all that out of the script and all that out of the narrative and out of the postcards and the website and the emails. And she was enormously helpful and kind of reminding us we kind of got into our own world, right? Of group think, of group speak. So in this chapter, I talked to your point about how important it is to know the language your customers are using. Donald Miller is a good friend of mine. He, of course, being the author of Building a Story Brand and Business Marketing Made Simple. He hosts these webinars, these seminars where a, a paint, a gentleman who owned a painting company, like painted homes and buildings, came to one of his seminars. And Donald Miller says, hey, show me your website. Because his whole business is clarifying message, right? Building a story brand. He pulls up this very successful guy's painting website. This guy, you know, was $10, 20000000 million a year. And he said, your site looks like an Italian restaurant. And he, Donald said, no, no, no. It needs to say in big language, we paint, S-H-I, you know, to make it very clear about what we do. I think there's a level of simplicity that comes to the best marketers where you don't have to be florid and grandiose, grandiose in your terms. And you just need to make sure that you're speaking in a super clear language. And perhaps most important, the language that your customers are speaking in, not what you're speaking in the executive suite or in your product development meetings or marketing meetings, it's easy to get sucked into that hairball as well. You gotta speak the language of your customer. It's rarely what you're calling it in your staff meetings. Yeah, you know, um, the, this point is so, the conflict that I deal with in 
teams, executive teams, um, and I'll you know, use hospital systems as a great example of this. We've got different languages, uh, administrators, hospital administrators, they talk financial language. It's, it's uh, EBITDA comes up right. <laughs> quite a bit. Um, the physicians, they're talking, their language structure is predicated on diagnose and prescribe. So it's right. Right. nurses, you know, the palliative care. It's care and, and it's a slower pace. It's you know, kind of, there's a, so there's three different worlds, three different you know, mindsets yeah. that are coming together, oh, oftentimes you know, in crazy ways. And getting people on the same page, speaking the same language. What are we, you know, for the sake of what are we doing this? Yeah, and if you're going to go to marketing, community health is, is really what we're looking at. Yeah, how do we how do we position who we are in, and not get consumed by our internal dialogue, so that our external messaging actually facilitates who we would like to be seen as in the marketplace? It requires you to slow down. Yeah. Requires uh, you to listen. I, I noticed my breathing was shifting as I was talking about. Yes, that right. I noticed it as well. Mm -hmm. It requires you to slow down, be more patient, be more inquisitive, more curious, move outside your comfort zone, understand what someone else's paradigm or mindset is and where they're coming from. Requires you to move outside of your natural vocabulary and adopt terms that may mean the same thing, may not mean the same thing. At the end of the day, the best marketers are the best listeners. Hands down. And, and yeah, Under, underscore in the, in the story. I want to I want to wrap up with one other point that you had here. I mean, I lo love this list. We, you know, I mean, I could spend the entire time just you know, kind of looking at this here. Um, the idea of um, you know, not only doing what you know ah, best. Yes. Because yeah. Yeah, as an entrepreneur myself, I mean, yeah, I, I founded my company in 87 and we ended up with offices in four countries. Um, and I know what I do best, uh, but it has gotten me into some, <laughs> if I try, when I try to run the company based on what I know best, which is leadership development, um, not business development, but leadership development, I've gotten myself wrapped around the axle a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. So this is challenge nine. Don't only do what you know and like best. If I, many people tell me, it's, it's got, this is as much a leadership book as it is a marketing book. And I said, no, no, I already wrote that book. It's called Management Nets. Leadership makes sense. <laughs> this is just good advice, is it not, for entrepreneurs and solopreneurs yeah. and for any leader in any organization. And that is, we tend to go with our natural proclivities, right? If we like to sell, we sell. But then we actually don't mind other parts of the business. And if we like to market, we market. A lot of marketers will go with, what channel they like the best, be it digital or social or billboards or print or whatever it is, right? Gimmicks. And so this was just a reminder that all of us naturally run with our strengths, but we also tend to communicate the way we like to be communicated to. We tend to market the way we like to be marketed to. And this is just, again, a strong reminder to move outside your comfort zone, to disrupt what might be your natural go-to and just not always focus on what you do best and like best because you'll neglect other parts of the business. I share a whole story of how in my early thirties, I launched an entrepreneurial jewelry business and I loved like four or five parts of the business, but I didn't love like 14 parts of the business, like supply chain and cost of goods and invoices and taxes and that. And, and it, it didn't get me in trouble, but it, it, it injured the business because I put my disproportionate passion yeah. talents are the parts that I felt the most validated by and I neglected the other parts and it came back to bite me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole notion of uh, disruption, 
Um, I know what I do well. I, you know, I'm, I think I'm an extra world-class teacher. You know, I, I truly am. I, I, I have no, no humbleness involved here at all. I mean, I do a good job with that. And I, yeah, my growing, you know, I know where I need to grow. It's, it's in those, those areas where I start to feel uncomfortable doing it. And that shows up oftentimes, and I don't like to do this. Well, I don't like to do this oftentimes because I'm not sure about how to do it. And I haven't really grown in that area. And I can either hire somebody in, which ultimately is what I ended up doing, but I needed to get comfortable enough with it to be able to grow uh, in acumen so that I could actually be in front of the business rather than trying to catch up to it. Um, So I guess where my point is here to the listeners, pay attention to, notice what you're noticing. Notice, Notice where you're feeling uncomfortable. Is that, that's a call to grow in some way. And that growth can take a number of different forms. You, know, you, you don't have to be the cheap cook and bottle washer in, in uh, the entire company, but you can hire people. And you need to know where your, uh, where your uh, gap is because that's where the growth opportunity is in many cases. Especially, if you're, especially if you're a solopreneur, right? Where exactly. you need to do all the bit parts of the business because you may have to spread your time and your passion amongst parts that you would naturally neglect. Because yep. if you put all of your passion and time into the areas that bring you validation or unleash your excitement, there won't be a business to put them into yeah. if you don't make sure that you save some of that to the areas that you know don't provide you validation or perhaps are the most sticky or annoying that they got to be attended to. This was not an epiphany, right? Again, these books that I write, I don't necessarily share a lot of new ideas. I just bring principles that govern a lot of our behaviors and businesses to light in my own mistakes. <laughs> and, and it's... Folks, get it. The new book comes out this week. Um, That's right. Management me- or marketing mess to brand success. Marketing mess, brand success. So where, where can people get this as it's coming out? I'm assuming it'll be available. You're doing the launch today. but uh, Yeah, it's Amazon. everywhere available. Anywhere you buy books, digitally, bricks and mortar, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, your local bookstore, Amazon, uh, Walmart, Target, it's everywhere. All the, all the good ones. Scott, I can't thank you enough for being back on the show. I, I, I mean, I loved our last conversation. I love this conversation. I could go on you know, for another hour here with this. I just love talking to you. Um, anything that you want to point people towards right now that um, you'd like them to pay particular attention to? We've mentioned the book. Anything else? Yeah, pay, pay attention to your emotional agility, to your mm-hmm. nimbleness. You know, I'm no futurist, but... It's the people that are listening to your podcast that are the most agile, the most nimble, the most flexible that are going to thrive post-pandemic. There's no such thing as the new normal. It's just the new change, right? It's, the landscape is changing under our feet constantly. So it's the listener that's going to be the most successful business leader influencer based on their ability to change on a dime and almost make that your principle is that Change is natural, right? Dr. Covey used to say the three constants in life were choice, principles, and change. Those are the three constants in life. Yep. And so be really, be really adaptive. That doesn't mean you have to change your values or change all of your beliefs, but recognize that the person who is the most agile, emotionally, intellectually, you name it, is going to be the person that thrives post-pandemic. Absolutely. And, you know, nature, nature for me is the, is the only truly free market system you know, that, that we'll ever run into. It's truly a free market system. And it's, free, it's a free market system because the ethos of, of, of nature is thriving. 
that yeah, nature is, is set up to thrive. Uh, and everything in nature is a center of distribution. There's nothing in nature that ultimately ends up being a center of accumulation. Everything gets distributed over time. Everything is, is used, everything is touched, everything is symbiotically uh, connected. So set yourselves up as centers of distribution and uh, you probably will never go wrong, uh, would be my guess. It's all about relationship. Thanks, my guest today, I can't thank him enough, Scott Jeffrey Miller. Uh, check, uh, check out his new book, absolutely. Check it out. And uh, if people wanted to get a hold of you, Scott, how could they do that? Well, my wife says it's very easy. That's not a compliment. She says I'm everywhere. So you can visit my website, scottjeffreymiller.com. You can Google me, Scott Miller. I'm bound to show up in your search. Uh, the books are all over Amazon. I have more books coming out in the next year, three books coming out in the next 12 months, as a matter of fact. All right. And you also can Google On Leadership with Scott Miller and subscribe to the podcast as well. Magic. Thank you very much. Folks, you've been listening to The Solar Business with Blaine Bartlett. Again, I am your host, obviously, Blaine Bartlett here. Check, uh, check out some of the resources I've got on my website. I think you would be uh, pleasantly surprised if you haven't already looked at them. Uh, do so. Uh, BlaineBartlett.com. I've uh, got some information there on my books as well as a mastermind series that I run and uh, uh, a, a whole solar business coaching program that uh, you might find useful. So until next time, I want to thank you for listening. And again, thank my guest, Scott Jeffrey Miller. Take care. Thank you, Blaine. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>